Before we jump into the meat of what we want to talk about today, let's play a quick game. You guys okay with that? We're going to play Guess Who. We've been playing this a lot lately, but we've got a couple pictures I want you guys to take a look at and see if you can figure out who it is that are in these pictures. My dad no, is not. And here we go. Haley Bowen. Hey, so one of the things that I want to mention, I just want to say thank you so much to Haley as part of our team here at Destiny. She does so much in leadership roles. And, you know, we're, we've been talking a lot about going all in for this next generation and what it is that we're trying to accomplish there. And I want to take just a moment as we get started this morning to talk a little bit about that because... You know, there really is something to be said for the generation of leaders that are being brought up in this house, in this place. Um, and, you know, myself having grown up here, graduated from the school, and then being a leader at this youth group, Haley was one of our students. So I remember being a youth, group, youth leader to Haley, and now she's on staff with us here and leading in so many areas, and we're so excited about all that God's doing. But what are the leaders of tomorrow that we've got in ministry right now, that one day they'll be out here on this platform and they'll be introducing and they'll be transitioning and they'll be bringing something of the heart of God to a people in this room who aren't even a part of this church yet. And we get, a, we get to play a part in investing into them and growing this church and growing the ministry that God is doing through this place. So I'm excited to be a part of that. Now, Pastor announced uh, earlier in the month that we have an incredible opportunity, and I want to just touch on it for just a second. But we've had someone who so generously said they will match any donation that we are able to make into the building campaign to get all of our kids' area finished, up to $10,000. How many of you guys think that's $10,000 of free money is amazing, right? Praise God. Now, that's great, but there's a catch because it's matching. So for us to get that 10,000 means we need to invest that 10,000 and we're about $2,000 towards that 10 right now. So I just want to let you guys know as a church family, and if you're a first time guest, I, I want you to know something. Um, I'm not trying to talk you out of your rent. I'm not trying to get you to invest in something that's not. If you notice, we haven't passed offering buckets because we feel like that's something as a church that we need to be responsible in our giving and in our tithe and our offerings. We have offering stations that are available at the back and we'll talk about those later, but you know, we don't want to just say, hey, here's what we have. Pull out your checkbook and give what you can. We want to say be intentional about what God's called you to. Where is it that God's called you to invest in? What is it that he's called you to do? And right now, as a church family, we have a great opportunity. So I just wanted to mention that as we get started. Uh, you know, we have a great opportunity to invest in a generation of students that are really growing in a lot of ways. How many of you guys were here last week? We got a few people. I actually need, as we jump into the message, I actually need four people who were here last week who would help me out very, very briefly. Can I get four people who were here last week? Come up real quick, just right here. A one, two, I need two more. Haley, you were here last week. I'm about, we, come on, there's three. I got to have four, so I'm going to pull somebody else. Shay, I know you are. Come on. Help me out. Okay, so really briefly, I we had last week, you know, the children came in and they sang and did some, we got to see some of the ministry that goes on in there. So I want to ask you guys really quickly, I'm going to give you a microphone and you've got 10 seconds. All you've got to do, 10 seconds, tell me about church last week, whatever you want to tell me about service last week. It was great. 
It's, an, it's amazing to see the kids actually stepping up and doing something and doing some worship to uh, basically teach the rest of the church what we should be doing. I just think the young ones are very inspiring. Growing up in the church, uh, it's cool to see somebody else do the same thing that I did and see where they're going. That's great. Thank you, guys. So have a seat. So let me ask you a question. Because it, the reason I had them come up ties very much into where I want to go this morning. We're talking about Jesus and the Gospels. Now, for those of you who were here last week, let me ask you a question. Did, did Pastor preach a message? He did. Did we have coffee available in the lobby? Yeah, we did. Was there still kids ministry going in the other building, even though we had some of the older kids over up here? There was. You notice none of those four mentioned those things? So, were they lying about last week? Y'all weren't really here, right? That was it. Y'all just, no? Some of you guys are like, where is he going with this? Here's where I'm going. One of the things I hear a lot in student ministry especially is, well, what about the contradictions in the Bible? What about the contradictions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And I want to start off because I want you to know something. There are no contradictions. There's a differing perspective. There's something that each one of those books brings that is a perspective of that individual. It's one of the things that we've opened up with. And to give you a better understanding, you know, we talked about Matthew. And Matthew was written in the perspective by a Jew to the Jewish people to understand more about where the law fits in and how that works. Then Mark was written to the Gentiles in Rome. So this was a perspective of people who aren't going to understand the law, but they needed to understand who Jesus was to them and how that fit into their life. And then you've got Jesus in Luke, which we talked about last week, um, which was about Jesus being the Son of Man and the humanity part of Jesus. And next week, as we go to John, it'll talk a little bit more about how Jesus was the Son of God. Now, Sometimes people read that and one of the questions that people have is, well, you know, this talks about something that this one doesn't talk about. I, I want you to hear me this morning. A differing perspective does not mean there's not truth in everything that was said. Everything they said, all four of these people said was true about last Sunday, although they left out different parts or they highlighted different things. See, the Gospels are the same way because they're highlighting different things to give us a complete picture of who Jesus is in our lives today. And so that we can better understand that the fact that Jesus was Jesus to the Jews. Jesus was Jesus to the Gentiles. Jesus was the Son of Man, but he was also the Son of God. So we have to have a different perspective of each one of those to really understand what it is that Jesus brought to earth. You guys ready for me to jump into the message this morning? I am, very much so. And, you know, there's something that I think is important that we understand as we look at all of these different things that... These four Gospels give us a really healthy overview of what Jesus did on earth and who he was for us. And these were written in a perspective that allows us to look back and see these different parts. Because how many of you realize what you need Jesus to be for you this week may not be what you needed him to be for you last week? I mean, let's be honest. There's sometimes situations come up, we get a bad doctor's report, and today I need Jesus to be my healer right? Or maybe something goes on in a family situation, and today I need Jesus to be my comforter, right? Or maybe, maybe we just realize we've really been missing something all along, and we need Jesus simply to be our Savior. 
See, there's a different perspective of Jesus in every part that we begin to read and study and understand about the Bible. And that's why there's all these different perspectives and directions because we all live from a different perspective of life. And we all need Jesus to be God for us in our situation, whatever we're at, whatever moment, wherever we are. And that's exactly who he is. And he so creatively put that in a book in a way that we can look at different angles of how that's going to fit. Because how many of you realize being a Christian isn't about just following all the right rules? However, there are still rules that we need to follow, right? Just like in relationship, you don't get into a relationship because you want to be bound by the rules of relationship. You get into relationship because you love the person. And it's not that there are rules, it's that there are healthy boundaries to protect that relationship. And when we begin to understand that Christianity isn't about setting all kinds of rigid rules, but it's about understanding the boundaries to bring healthy relationship and healthy perspective to our world, we really begin to understand a lot more about the heart of Jesus and who he's called us to be to the world around us. And I think it's something that's so important, especially going into this season where we are at Thanksgiving. How many of you realize Thanksgiving That means there's going to be things you're thankful for, things you're excited about. Some family members you're excited to see, some you hope miss the train, right? I mean, let's be honest. There's some who I can't wait to go home, and there's others who I wish I had one to go to. For some, this is the happiest part of their year. For others, it's the reason suicide rate is the highest it will ever be during the holidays. See, our world needs to see Jesus in every aspect of our life, not just what box we think he fits in at the moment. Because the box you're living in right now may not be the box the person beside you needs him to be. And if we try to say, this is who Jesus is, then we've missed the point. Because Jesus is Jesus for everybody. Because this gospel is a gospel for everybody. It's a gospel for living, not just for reading and setting up structure and saying, I hope things work out because I'm going to follow all of these rules and understand, you know what? There's something about the heart of Jesus that really helps us understand the relationship aspect. Let me put it like this. When Jesus talked to the disciples, he asked them a really interesting question in Mark 8, verses 27 through 29. says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee, and they went up to a village near Capernaum. And as they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say You are one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. See, as Christians, we cannot sit back and call ourselves Christians and live from the perspective of how other people see Jesus. We need to have our own experience to where we've walked and we've talked and we know who he is for us. The thing is, Jesus was crucified, and we talk a lot about how bad the governmental structure was when Jesus lived and how they hated Christians and they persecuted Christians, but you realize the evil government isn't who killed Jesus? 
It was the religious. And he was hated because of who he wasn't, not because of who he was. They didn't accept Jesus because he didn't come rich with wealth and royalty. He didn't come in and demolish what they thought he was going to demolish. He came in as a humble servant who empowered people and brought a loving heart. Do, do you understand? How could you hate a man who healed the sick? How could you hate a man who made people believe there was purpose in their life? Simple. Because he didn't fit into the box they thought he should fit in. And he wasn't following the rules the way they thought the rules should be followed. Do you hear me? There's something about the life that Jesus lived that when we look at, we really begin to understand. This is far more than rules and regulations. It's absolutely relationship. Because Jesus called his 12 disciples. And I want to start here. And I want to walk you through something really quick because I find this really interesting myself. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of my own interpretation. You guys okay with that this morning? So, I believe that when Jesus called the disciples, something really incredible, really, really incredible happened. In Mark 1, 17 through 22, Jesus begins to call the disciples. And it says, he walked up. It says, Jesus called out to them, come follow me. And I will show you how to be fishers of men. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. Pause. Anybody else ever realize that and think, that is a really strange verse? How many of you have ever been at Crest and some guy walks down the hallway and says, hey, come with me? And you just, all right, you walk away from your family, your kids, your grocery basket, and you just follow him outside. How many else think that sounds crazy? When I read that, it's like Jesus walked up and said, hey, come follow me. And they dropped their nets and they left their work and they went. Like, what? What else happened here? And I just want to tell you, this is what I think happened here. What I think, Jesus lived in Nazareth, which was not that far from the Sea of Galilee. It's about 40 miles. And I believe that Jesus often went to Galilee because he grew up in the area. I think he probably went to Galilee, and I think there were times he was walking along the shore, and he saw men that were hard at work in a boat, and he thought, man, they are here in the morning. They work late at night. These guys work hard. I think there were people that when he went to pay taxes, I think he probably stood in Matthew's line. A couple times. And when he got there, he probably saw something about Matthew that wasn't like all of the other tax collectors. And he said, he noticed it. That's what I think. I don't think these were people that Jesus had never seen before in his life. I think he came in contact with them before. I think there was something that he saw in them that when it was, okay, this is time for ministry to happen, he said, I know who I need on my team. I know who I want to walk with me. Does that make sense? And I, I, I can't tell you scripturally, this is where I find that and it lays that out because it's a thought process that just personally, why did he pick those people? I think he saw something in those people. Because Jesus always sees something in the underdog. Always. So why would he not pick the underdog? 
How many of you have ever heard the verse, and, and we've misquoted it often, come to me, my burden is easy, my yoke is light, right? We've heard that vo- verse, and I've heard people preach that, listen, come follow Jesus, and your life will be great, because he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let me help you out. That's not what that verse is talking about. Anybody else started following Jesus, you realize everything's not perfect all of a sudden, right? There's something really interesting, though. When a priest would begin to take students and teach them, what he would teach them was often referred to as his yoke. And in that time when a lot of people would reference all of the stipulations and regulations that were put by religion, what he was really saying is come follow me because this path is simple. It's not filled with overwhelming regulations and stipulations that are unachievable. I've got two rules for you. Love God and love others. It's that simple. See, the Bible clearly says, in fact, Matthew 5.15, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. Because see, here's, here's what I want you to understand this morning. The thing about the law was this, the wages of sin is death. How many of you realize after Jesus came, sin didn't go away? How many of us are sinful people? Sin still exists. Jesus didn't come to say, now you can freely sin. Jesus came to say, now that you can have life in spite of your sin. What he abolished wasn't the ability to not have to sin. What he abolished was the consequence of death that came with it. So what he said was, come follow me, and I'll make this real simple. Instead of us breaking down the big ten, talking about the ten commandments there just so everybody's clear, okay? All of those can be summed up in the short two. Love God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. Because I'm not saying the ten aren't important. I'm just saying Jesus came to simplify it. Because guess what? Thou shalt not kill. If you love your neighbor like yourself, okay, that works, that fits. Um, Let's see. Don't put any other gods before me. If you love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, no, you're not putting anybody else in front of him. Do you see what I'm saying? If... The ten are covered too. Hear me. I'm not saying those aren't important. They're very important. What I'm saying is Jesus said, hey, listen, you guys have been so bound up in religion and trying to follow all of these. I've got to have this one right and this one right and this one right, and you're going to mess up in places. What I'm saying is pursue God with all you've got. And love, the na- love your neighbor just like you would yourself. And see, here's the thing that we've got to understand. When it comes to loving our neighbor, often we judge ourselves by our intentions and we ju- judge everyone else by their reactions. When the truth of it is, if we were going to love others like ourselves, we would have to take a step back from the way they reacted to us in that situation and understand the emotion and the heart behind why they did what they did, and we just might understand them a little bit better. And we might just see a little bit more of the heart of Jesus in the way that they walk, in the way that they talk. Do you see what I'm saying this morning? I'm not saying don't kill, steal, all of those aren't important. They're important. Don't do any of those. 
But if you're loving people the way God loves people, you're not stealing from them. You're not killing them. You're not trying to take their wife because you're busy loving Jesus and pursuing Jesus and showing people that there's value in what everyone else thinks doesn't have value. See, I believe when Jesus called the disciples and he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They had noticed him too. You notice the weird verse where when Jesus was a little kid, he was amazing people in the synagogue talking about scripture. I don't think you can do that as a little kid and then be a 30-year-old man and people didn't notice it in the middle. I think they probably saw something about this guy like, man, I see him praying every day on this seashore. I see him with an attitude towards tax collectors where everyone else hates them and he's loving them. I think they saw something about Jesus' life to where when Jesus said, hey, come follow me and I will teach you what this life is about, they think, I've been waiting for that chance. You want to be Jesus to your world? Stop telling them everything that they're doing wrong and start loving them where they're at so that when they get the chance to have the opportunity, I've been waiting for a moment to ask you that question. I've been waiting to ask how your everything in your world looks like it's falling apart, but yet you come in day after day in your stable. Do you see what I'm saying? The loving heart of Jesus says something to our world so much more than rules and regulation. Jesus in the gospel is simple. Jesus in the gospel is four perspectives of how you can live pursuing the heart of God and still keep humanity in the forefront of your mind without being so self-consumed that you miss the point. The problem is so far, far too often in the church, we tend to look more like the people who crucified Jesus than we do the people who followed him. Am I preaching this morning? See, I really feel like Jesus wants to do something new in our life. And when I say new, I don't mean like new, like something he's never done. I mean like we need to understand what the purpose was originally. Because we missed the point. Anybody ever looked at somebody else's success and thought, if I could just be like them? Anybody? Anybody else, someone said, you know what, I see leadership in you, and you're like, I can't preach. Right? Or I see this in you, oh, I don't know about leading a small group. Guess what? Just because someone sees leadership in you doesn't mean you're going to preach from this stage. It doesn't mean you're going to lead a community group. What it means is there is a gifting about your life to change the world. You know, earlier I mentioned some of the ministry of this church, and I, I think this is a good place to add this in. Thanks to the ministry of the school and some of our community groups that came together, this last week we were able to give away 91 Thanksgiving baskets to families in need. I don't know about you, but a kid who's going to go without food on Thanksgiving needs a basket of food more than they need a message. We need to stop shrinking the gospel and trying to fit it in a box that it was never intended to fit in. 
and start realizing that what God has called us to is to impact our world. And that's going to look different for every single one of you because every single one of you carry a different perspective. But that doesn't mean you're not necessary. It simply means you're one of the books that gives a full perspective of who Jesus is. What part do you play in letting people understand the hope that is in Jesus? What part do you play to reaching a generation of young people that need to see something changed in their life? The problem is we've set back a lot and we think, well, if I'm going to be like Jesus, I need to make sure everybody knows what they're doing wrong so that they know that they need him. Let me help you out with something. I work with teenagers and college students a lot. And the scary thing is if I say, you need Jesus in this area of your life because here's what you're doing wrong. And I talk about the conviction you feel. They look at me with this blank face like, what's conviction? What do you mean I shouldn't do all this stuff? Like, I don't feel bad about it. But if you say, you know, the relationships that you've chased and you thought they would fulfill you and they left you heartbroken, there's a God who wants to not leave you and he'll fill the void that you've tried to find in those relationships. All of a sudden a light bulb comes on. Do you hear what I'm saying? The message doesn't change, but the delivery does. Stop trying to say it's got to look like this to be Jesus and realize it's got to look like this to be Jesus. What do you carry to your world? What is it that you possess that the world needs? Because I believe when Jesus called the 12, it was because he saw something in them that maybe no one else saw. See, Jesus was hated for who he wasn't. But Jesus calls you for who you are. Do you hear me? See, so often we sit back and we think, well, God, you can't use me because I'm not this, and I'm not this, and I'm not this. Let me help you out. God knows what you're not, and he's calling you for what you are. So there's nobody in this room who says God can't use me because when he looks at you, he knows what you are. Stop disqualifying yourself by what you're not. He already knew what you weren't before he called you. What's that look like for you? You're going to have to figure that out. But I can tell you, we've got different community groups that came together because they heard about something that our school was doing. And they said, you know what? That's something that is in my heart to see families get food that need food. So I want to partner with something that's going on. Let's stop trying to create a new ministry every time we see a need. Let's just start being Jesus and filling some needs. Because here's the problem, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, there's some things that need programs. But if we try to program everything, we lose connection with the people who are carrying the heart and the vision. Because what happens is we get a group of people together and say, you know what, I think we could do this. Let's start a ministry for it. Let a pastor run it. And I'm going to tell you, 
what you should believe on it, and I'm going to tell you the heart you should carry for it, and I'll give you some ideas on how you should run it. And the truth of it is, you've got the heart, you've got the vision, you've got the passion. Bring it under the heading of this house, and let's change the world. And let's, let's be open to speak some counsel into that, because guess what? How many of you guys have had an amazing idea until you told somebody else? <laughs> right? Okay. So let's be, let's use some wisdom here too. But that's the function of a pastor in your life is to say, you know what? Here's what God's speaking to me. Is this biblical? Like, does this line up with how I should think and who we should be? That's where that fits. Because the office of the pastor is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, not taking the ministry from them. So what is it that's your role? What part do you play? And the way we find that out is we begin to look through the Gospels, and we can quickly see that what Jesus did speaks of who Jesus is. And Jesus established the church, so he loves the church. But do you realize most of his ministry didn't happen in a church? It happened on the way to a city. It happened on the way somewhere else. It happened in the middle. Whoa, hold on. It happened in the middle of a message, and somebody cut a hole in the ceiling, and he had to stop the message to do the ministry? Do you hear me? How many of you guys think we've gotten this backwards for a while? Jesus is on his way to a city. He's on his way to do something, and somebody comes up and they need help. Guess what? Most of the opportunities for ministry in your life are not going to come at the times it's convenient. It's going to come at the time that it's needed. And if we sit back and we say, well, I will help people when it's convenient for me. On my day off, I'll stop and help that person with a flat. I hope they get another flat in a few days. Really? Think about that for a minute. Well, I'll feed the homeless when God blesses me with more money. How about you just give them Jesus? How about you give them Jesus? How about you sit down? Here's a crazy thought. See, when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, you know, he, he did call out the sin in her life. But you know when he called out the sin in her life? After he dignified her with a conversation. After he did something no one else did. Because he was a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. That doesn't happen. But he walked up and he began to speak into who she was. He began to call to what she was, not what she wasn't. And that's what opened the doorway to have a conversation about what she needed. How about let's stop just saying we need to fix all these problems. If people could just see it my way, all the problems in the world would be fixed. No, no, no. If we would just begin to dignify people with a conversation instead of a response, maybe we would really be able to give the true heart of God to the world around us. The band's going to begin to come back up. and I want us to take a moment as we begin to conclude. And I want to ask you, what part do you play 
in the world around you right now? What part do you play? Let me ask you a real pointed question. What part do you play in investing in this generation of kids? What part do you play in working in the, ministry, in the kids' ministry? What part do you play serving people when they come in the door? What part do you play at your workplace? Because are you Jesus there or are you just Jesus here? Because people need to see Jesus everywhere you go. This wasn't part of my notes, but I want to tell you this real quick. I'll take two minutes. This last weekend, I had the privilege to be a part of a program called DelQuest. It's a three-day leadership program that we do with the city and four of the surrounding schools. And I, let me tell you something amazing. I got to sit with 20 students from different religious backgrounds, different faiths, different cultures, different ethnic groups, and get to sit around and talk about who they were and what was inside of them and draw out leadership potential in all of them. And you know what? I didn't give an altar call once. You know what? I never preached them a message. But when we got back to the hotel, after all of the events were done, you wanna know a conversation that I had with several of them? Hey, so you're a, they said you were a pastor when they introduced you. Are you really a pastor? Yeah. Where? <laughs> Destiny, right down the street. Are you sure? Because, I mean, you haven't judged us because of how we act. You haven't said anything about the person that I'm dating. You haven't said anything about the life choices that I'm making. And I've never seen a pastor that would do that. In fact, who did you vote for? No lie. I was like, well, this conversation just went downhill quick. You know what they said in response? Really? Why? And we began to have an open conversation that wasn't about political parties. It wasn't about presidential candidates. It wasn't about my position as a pastor. It wasn't about their need for church. It was about two people having a conversation, and the loving heart of Jesus brought about something that I could never have done had I abused the position I was given for my agenda. But because I honored the position that was given, it opened the doorway for a conversation where one of them, matter of fact, texted me this morning. And said, hey, I got, when I got home, I got my work schedule. And they've got me scheduled today. I can't be there, but I will be there next Sunday. <laughs> I never preached the gospel to these kids. You know what I did? I validated them. I gave them purpose. You don't have to preach somebody a six-point message to show somebody the love of Jesus. Just be Jesus. Jesus was for the underdog. Jesus was for the person everybody thought was out. Jesus was for the person that no one else cared for and that everyone looked down on. You want to change your world, be Jesus to your world. See, I want to jump back really quick, and I'm closing in two seconds. In Mark, I said it speaks about who Jesus was. And there's something that I found really interesting. There, there are eight times in that book where it talks about Jesus controlling a situation, whether he calmed a storm or he calmed a, something that was going on. 
there's 20 times in that book where Jesus healed the sick. And there's three times that he raised the dead. And there's not one where he preached a message in a church. Guys, I'm not against the church. I believe in the church. Jesus established the church. But we've got to make sure the function of the church is the function it was intended. Because the function of the church isn't to be a building that we come and we learn about Jesus in. The function of the church is to be the expression of Jesus to our world. And that happens by being connected to a body of believers who are all being Jesus to the world around them. And we come together and we're uplifted and we're excited and we're inspired to be who God's called us to be. But here's what I want to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Because like I said, there's several different things that Jesus was in that book. And there's many different perspectives in this room. And some of you in this room, today, you need Jesus to be your Savior because you don't know who he is. You don't know anything about him. But you're intrigued about this love that I keep talking about that's more than a religion, that's more than regulation. And it's about people. There's some of you in here that your marriages are falling apart and you need Jesus to bring it back from the dead. There's some of you in here, your financial situation is in a wreck and you need Jesus to bring some stability to that situation in your life. There's some of you in here today that you've gotten a bad report from the doctor and you need Jesus to be your healer. And what I want to ask, if you're in here today and you say, there's something in my life that I need somebody to pray with me about because I need Jesus to be whatever it is that you need him to be. I want you to lift your hand. I want to pray with you really quickly. If you need Jesus to be a healer this morning, lift your hand. If you need Jesus to be your savior this morning, lift your hand. If you need Jesus to redeem your marriage this morning, lift your hand. If you need Jesus to mend a broken relationship, lift your hand. God, I pray right now for every person whose hand is lifted, God, that we would understand that the loving heart and the loving nature of you is to come into our life and transform our life. And God, I pray right now that you would begin to calm the storms for every person whose hand's lifted, that you begin to mend the relationship where every hand is lifted. God, that every marriage that says we're done, that you breathed life into dust and it became a man. And you can breathe life into a marriage that looks like it's dead and it can live again. And God, I pray right now that you would begin to restore us so that we can truly be a depiction of who you want us to be to the world around us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.